Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Happy Couples Enhance Each Other, and it is part of the What Happy Couples Do Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org or you can always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. (laughs) Many marriages are struggling today because married couples are faithfully trying to live out the golden rule, which is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule actually doesn't work in marriage without some qualifications. Pastor William Bradshaw, pastor of Connecticut, uh, told about a time when his phone rang late at night, and he heard rustling and muffling and sound like struggling, and the phone hangs up. And a few minutes later, the phone rings again, and it's a woman's voice, and she says, we're in trouble. He heard rustling and sound like some people were struggling, and the phone hangs up again. So he's getting worried, but he has no idea who's calling him. A few minutes later, the phone rings again. It's a man's voice. The man's voice says, hey, said, Pastor, we're in tr- my wife is correct. We're in trouble. <laughs> They'd been married a year, and they're blue-collar uh, uh, people and uh, had a mortgage to pay. And so they had worked really hard to save up enough money to go to New York City and watch a, go to the theater and rent a hotel. And the wife walks into the bathroom, the man's shaving, and he's uh, nicked himself, and there's a little blood trickling down his cheek, and she says, let me, no, she said, uh, you should clean that up, and he said, no, I'll clean it up when I'm finished. And so she proceeded to clean uh, for him. And uh, you might be surprised that that didn't go over well. And they begin to have words about that, and they begin to fight, and She got so angry that she's decided her marriage was over, and she called her mother and said, I'm coming home, and her mother was wise enough, been married a number of years, and said, no, you're not coming home, I'm not letting you come home, there's no place for you here, stay and work it out. And they did, for the next five hours, they worked it out, and screamed at one another and called each other names. You ever work it out like that? And um, uh, so they totally, they totally... Uh, destroyed this, what should have been a wonderful romantic evening in New York City, wasted all that money. Now, I'm not letting the guy off the hook, by the way. I would not letting the guy off the hook. He should have just let her clean the blood off, and life would have been sweet. And I'll guarantee you, if you could find that guy today, he said, if I had to do over, I'd let her clean the blood off and say thank you. But So I'm not letting him off the hook, but the, the wife was trying to follow the golden rule. And doing unto another as she would have done for her. And Shauna Cyphus uh, of Utah writes this. And kind of to, to illustrate my point a little more. She said, what makes me feel super loved is when my husband does acts of service for me. How many of you guys have that kind of wife? I have one of those wives. Acts of service. That's her love language. When my wife does acts of service for me and brings me, I don't know how she got that way, being raised by Quentin Manson. I just can't, I just don't know how that, how that happened to become her love language. I, I was raised by William Bailey McCutcheon, and he could not build a doghouse 
that would hold up. So, <laughs> poor Sherry. What makes me feel super loved is when my husband does acts of service for me and brings me gifts. So here I was for the first year, several years of our marriage, following the golden rule and busting my butt, doing things like keeping the house clean, washing his clothes, running errands for him, buying him little surprises, or making him a homemade card that I had poured my heart and soul into. And while he definitely appreciated it, it was not making him feel loved. What makes my husband feel loved is when I compliment him, snuggle with him, and praise him for a job well done. So here he was for the first several years of our marriage, constantly trying to snuggle with me and give me amazing compliments and telling me how he was so proud of all the things I do for the kids and him. While I, was, while I super appreciated it all, I was not feeling loved. And we had, uh, our, I, I had a couple in the church who weighed in. And uh, in fact, I want to give credit, that video came from Steve, uh, Steve Greco, gave me that video this week. And I said, that's the best thing I've seen in a while. I'm going to use it. But here's what they told me. Colleen said, if you asked Steve, he could care less about the dishwasher being filled or the laundry being folded. And I felt a ton of self-inflicted pressure for many years to do it all. Have the laundry done, make sure the kids' homework is done, food prep, get the mail. That wasn't what he needed. Steve goes out of his way every morning after the gym, though, to pick me up a Diet Coke. That makes Colleen feel loved. It's probably the nicest thing he could do for me. He doesn't keep a list of what I don't get done and doesn't apply pressure when I fail to execute due to work getting in the way. Steve, here's Steve's words. Over time, we have shown our love by supporting each other to do what makes each of us happy. I love cycling. Colleen lets me get out and, and, and ride whenever possible. Colleen get, loves volunteering at the happy place. I'll pick up the slack at home whenever she can go out to help with the kids. We certainly get to share a lot of time together, but it doesn't have to be 24-7. I think that embracing our different likes and encouraging other, each other to do so helps with our overall happiness. So Steve and Colleen have figured out how to live the golden rule in their lives. See how the golden rule works. At a casual level of relationship, we all pretty much need the same thing. When... When I, when, I go to the, when I go to the, the shopping center, I, I like to get that parking place close to the door. But everybody does, right? So if you want to live out the golden rule of the shopping mall, you just de-accelerate instead of accelerate, accelerating when you see you and another person would like the same spot. So it's pretty easy out there in society, but at the intimate level of relationship, you need a little more specific knowledge to live the golden rule. You want your spouse to treat you in a manner that makes you feel loved. That's what the golden rule is. John Gottman refers to it as enhancing one another's love map in the book, uh, Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. Happy couples, he says, enhance each other's love maps. And so that's the title of my sermon today. Happy couples enhance each other's love maps. Now, that simply means it's what you do, you know, if you're looking at a map on your device or on your computer, you, know, you want to enhance it, you're going to zoom in so you can see the, the street names and you can see the, the businesses that are on that street and you can, you can see the neighborhood or if you're still the, uh, doing the paper map, you know there's those little box that enhance an area that you're probably especially interested in. By the way, let me say this today. The happy marriage is not a mere selfish desire, but it's a holy obligation. 
Creating a happy marriage is not just another consumeristic, oh, I'm going to go down to that church, and all they care about is that I'm happy and wealthy, and and health and wealth. That's all they care about. No, this is not a part of the, quote, health and wealth gospel. No, this is a part of your gift to the world. Your happy marriage is a gift to the world that the world desperately needs. Amen? A 2016 report issued the stark warning that broken relationships and an absence of quality relationships is killing us faster than obesity or a lack of exercise. In the United Kingdom, they have discovered that marriage is the number one predictor of young people's mental health, and I'm sure it's true in the United States as well. Health experts in the United Kingdom claim that the nation spends 51 billion pounds a year dealing with family breakdown. That's half of their health system budget. It is not just for you that you want to build a great relationship. I like what uh, Dr. Dennis Parsons Burkett says. We need better fences at the top of the cliff more than just more ambulances at the bottom. That's, a, that's an interesting picture, isn't it? We need ambulances at the bottom because some of us are going to go off the cliff regardless of what we do. But we need more fences at the top. The church of Jesus Christ needs to take marriage more seriously. I need to take it more seriously. And I, if I would talk to my younger self, it would be to preach on marriage and family more often than I have over the years. I remember many years ago, Christy was a little girl, and I know I've shared this before, but every time I preach on the family, which I've tried to do more of in the last three or four years, every time I do it, her comment, when she was a little girl, I don't know, she was in elementary school, she said, Dad, why don't you preach on the family? And I told her sincerely, I said, well, I I don't know, I don't feel I'm really great at it, and I feel like I I don't feel I'm doing a great job, even though I'm trying. She said, that's no excuse. (laughs) So let me give you three courageous questions that love mappers ask in one way or another. Number one, what would you like for me to know about you? I don't care who you are. One thing you crave is to be known. One thing you crave is to be known. I I heard the story of Rachel and Steve, a young couple whose marriage was in big trouble. They had two boys they, weren't hard, they were hardly speaking. He was staying late at work. He was sleeping in the basement. She was sleeping on the second floor. And their marriage was in really rough shape. He was, uh, talk about love map, he kind of had uh, gotten real dysfunctional with the love map thing and was making, making demands of feeling love that were un, untenable. And his idea was his wife was to take the same kind of care of him that his mother took care of him. In fact, he was always pushing her to be close friends with his mother so his mother could teach him, teach her how to take care of him in a proper way. Now, you, that, that, that's, that's love mapping on crack. Now, a lot of us guys probably have been there, right? Yours truly, I, I've been there. A lot of us guys have been there. We've wanted a little more mothering there than we were getting, right? But, but it had gotten pretty out of control. And they, some, through a series of circumstances, I don't have time to go into, but it's really a miraculous circumstances, they got help. 
and their marriage began to improve. And one day in a marriage counseling session, Rachel said this, I was going to write you a letter and say, take good care of the boys and then walk in front of a bus. He had no idea. He thought she was just being a brat. He had no idea how, what despair she was over their broken marriage. You know why he didn't know? Because he didn't ask. Because if she would have asked, she would have told him where she was at. You know, everything about being a good husband or a good wife or a good friend, everything that you need to know about that subject, I believe with all my heart, can be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. The character, the personality, the way he carried himself. Jesus came into our realm demonstrating in a thousand ways his curiosity about us. He came wanting to know about our affections, our plans, our fears, our ambition. He spent hundreds and thousands of hours in our space studying us, experiencing us, and paying serious attention to us. It will blow your mind if you want to do a great study. Do a study on the questions that Jesus asked. Jesus made more questions, asked more questions than he gave answers. You know, think about it. If you think about the Gospels and you think of what we value today, I've always wanted to be a good preacher, which is kind of like giving a lecture, really. It's like an enhanced TED Talk every Sunday. Jesus, if, and this, this hit me this week. I, I'd never thought of this before. Jesus wasn't known for great lectures. He was known for having great conversations. I said, man, I never saw that before. Jesus was known for asking great questions, not for giving great lectures. Sometimes I fall flat up here, I know. Sometimes I want to write all of you an apology note. I'm sorry about today. But I always fail at home at giving lectures. But I seldom fail when I ask questions. I seldom fail when I want to know how she feels, when I want to know what she's stressed about, and I'm willing to let her talk. Jesus did this so well. He noticed a paralytic by a supposed curative fountain that had been there a long time, and he asked him, do you want to get well? He asked two of his disciples, John and two disciples that he met one day, where do you live? He, when Christ's audience got offended and left, and only the disciples were left, he said, would you like to go as well? <laughs> he was curious. He noticed a vertically challenged man up a tree and trying to get a better look. He said, can I go to your house today? He discovered that we yearn for a better world. And he heard that. And he said, hey, don't worry, guys. Don't let your heart be trouble. I go to pre how, how did he know their heart was trouble? Because he had been talking to them. I go to prepare a place for you. Where I am there, you may be also. Jesus is the extreme example of map enhancing, enhancing our love maps. See, we can go days and days and weeks living with somebody and only having logistical type conversations. How to go today? Where'd you go today? Who'd you know, rehearsing that same, uh, uh, that same conflict that your spouse has been having with the same person for the last 10 years. And you keep having the same conversation about the same person. We're talking, but we're not sharing. <laughs> 
three things that you need to, to know. What is your burden? That is not ju just your stress, but your burden. In other words, what is your assignment in life? How can I inspire you to carry it? And how can I make your load lighter? Now, if you don't know someone, how can you truly love them? Do you know who their best friends are? Do you know their most painful memories from childhood? If you want to get some encouragement, if your marriage, and I know, I know I'm talking to someone here today whose marriage is in, it's not in good shape, and the intimacy's been broken, and it's kind of painful to even hear a sermon about marriage. I understand that. But if you want some encouragement, go on YouTube, and you can find videos of Rick Warren and Kay Warren, famous pastors, pastor and church of over 25,000, and they will tell you about living in marital hell for many, many, many years. And a lot of it went back to the fact that Kay Warren was molested by a church janitor's son when she was five, and then a few years later, she got to looking at pornography as a little girl, and it affected her life. They wouldn't have got help. They hadn't got to know that. Do you know how energetic or weary she or he is right now? Do you know what they're really afraid of? Do you know how your spouse feels about God right now? Do you know what, do you know if they need a break or if they need a challenge? And with so many of you here today, you're both working hard. And you're, you're, you're both, you're, with, with both spouses working, as most, most cases today, it's sometimes you don't ever stop to think they're tired, they're weary. Do you know their three favorite movies or their three favorite songs? Do you know what kind of salad dressing they like? If you go to get them a salad, do you know what kind of dressing? Do you know their hopes, their dreams, their aspirations? Do you know what three requests they might ask of God if he would say yes? What do they want you to know about them? The second question today is, when do you feel most loved by me? Jonathan Robinson, who wrote a book about this, asked his wife this one, one day. And she said, uh, when you, when I, I feel most loved by you when you bring me flowers and watch Star Trek with me. I, hey, I can do that. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Colossians 3.19 says, husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Titus 2.4 says, older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. You know, does anyone else feel this way besides me? And this, I know this sounds pathetic. And I'm, but I'm going to say it. I'm going to put myself out there. Sometimes I just want those that are closest to me to know how hard it is to be me. Does anybody else, anybody else ever, ever feel like that? I just, I just wish other people knew how difficult it is to live my life. And when you have someone in your life who cares about hearing your most inner dialogue, you see there's three levels of intimacy. Some psychologists have figured out there's three levels of intimacy. The first, the first level of intimacy is personal traits. Like if I know that you're an introvert or you're an extrovert, um, you know, I, if I know that you are an agreeable, very agreeable person or you're a very disagreeable person, um, those that's your personal traits. Or, uh, th so that's one level. The second level is personal concerns. 
I know that these are the things you worry about. And this is where we get in maybe political discussions because, you know, someone's worried about socialism or they're worried about capitalism, you know, whatever. And I got, I got people on both sides, Damon. And worse, some people on one side of me are worried about capitalism. And I, I tried to put a joke on Facebook this week and it started a political argument about uh, Jeff Bezos' billions of dollars, you know? And I was just trying, I, I thought I was being funny. And it's so hard to be funny anymore. It is so hard, man. I, I, I need to laugh every day. I, I just can't take all this so seriously, but some people are ready to go, they're ready to go there, man. And so, so anyway, that's where you get into concerns. You know what concerns. But the third level is intimacy when you know their self-narrative. You know what they're saying to themselves. The Bible says of Jesus, he, 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 a woman came to him one day who needed healing for her body because she said within herself, I can, if I can be touched with him with his garment, and Jesus knew what she was saying inside of herself. That's really looking inside of someone's soul. The word intimacy is, can be broken down into me see. And if you want to feel loved, if you want your significant other to feel loved, let them know that you want to know at the deepest level what their inner conversation is to themselves. It's so important. If you're not, uh, you know, if you're uh, afraid to ask, Joyce Meyer has a, a quote on this, and I'll paraphrase it. She says, if you're afraid, do it afraid. <laughs> it, if you're inhibited and shy, it's an opportunity for you to act courageous. Besides, come on, people. Some of you, you have made a baby together, and you want to tell me that you're inhibited. Come on. If you're not feeling it, I'm talking about that interest and in hearing their heart. Because some of you are wounded and you're hurt and their spouse is hurting and you're not really interested in knowing their If you're feeling it, not feeling it, fake it. That's what the Bible says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Talking about Abraham. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed and calls things that are not as though they are. I heard about a news reporter a while back who was a news reporter, but he was also a Christian leader in his community. And a lady came by and said to him one day and said, you know, I want to leave my husband, but before I do, I want to really hurt him. And he said, well, I'll tell you what you do for the next little while. For the next few weeks, I want you to do everything he wants. Give him his favorite food, wear, his, wear the clothes he likes for you to wear, meet him at the door with a, with, a, with a smile and a hug and a kiss every day. And then when he's sure everything's going his way, tell him you're leaving him. A few weeks later, he runs into her, and he said, how's that divorce going? She said, what divorce? We're totally in love. <laughs> Our marriage is great, never been better. Try not doing what you feel, but doing what you will. Instead of what you feel. Finally, I would say this, and this is a great, I mean, I, I didn't originate this question, or I wouldn't, I wouldn't be quite as braggadocious about it. I would be more humble about this question because this is a humble question. Um, I would be more humble about having a great question if I had thought of it myself. But I didn't. Andy Stanley, I'll give Andy credit. This is a great question. What would a humble person do right now? Ooh. Oh. 
turn to your neighbor and say, that's good. Just do it. Say, that's good. What would a humble person do? It's true that knowing what your partner's, knowing what makes your partner feel loved is essential, but inevitably, what will make you feel loved will clash with what makes your partner feel loved. Yes, it hurts when your partner isn't curious, but it can hurt even worse when they know and they say no. They say, I know what would make you happy, but I'm not going to do it. Now, I don't know what to do in that. Because some of you are in that situation right now. Here's what you have to do. There's only one response to that. You and your spouse must get in a humility competition. And you must try your best to be the most humble. You can win that competition. <laughs> Some of you want to win? You can win that competition. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Hey, pretend right now. Pretend there's a rope up here. You're on one end of the rope. Your spouse is on the other end. And you're both pulling. You have a tug of war going on in your marriage. Hey, I've been there. I've been in tug of war with my marriage. And you're, you're tugging back and forth, back and forth. You know what is terrifying? It's terrifying when you know the only solution is for you to drop your end of the rope. The only way you're going to take the tension out of the marriage is if you drop your end of the rope and say, Honey, I will serve you. I, you say, Well, that's a, that's a weird concept. Well, is it really? Isn't that what God did for every one of you? God dropped the rope with no guarantee that you would reciprocate. Humility is the secret sauce for healing marriages. Humility is the secret sauce for healing the world. There's a hit song a few years ago. One of my favorite artists growing up was Roger Miller. He was a genius. Roger Miller wrote this song. Here's the lyrics. Two broken hearts, lonely looking like houses where nobody lives. Two people, each having so much pride inside, neither side forgives. The angry word spoken in haste, such a waste of two lives. It is my belief pride is the chief cause in the decline of the number of husbands and wives. Powerful song. Now, I know some, you know, there's no question that I'm talking to somebody today whose marriage is really tough. And I, my heart goes out to you. I've been there. I've been there when our marriage was really tough. I've been there when we weren't getting along, when we weren't seeing eye to eye. I've lived it, man. And you, you, may, you may honestly be in a situation where the blame pie, that big old blame pie, all you have is a sliver of blame. That's all you have is a sliver. 1%, 2%, 5%. That's all of the blame pie you have for things being as cold and difficult as they are right now. Here's my challenge to you. Go home and take care of your sliver. You say, you, are you promising it will heal my marriage? No. 
Now, marriages won't be healed. Here's what I promise you. Listen carefully, please. Some of you, your marriage will get healed. Because some of you are deluded. Your blame pie is like 50%, and you think it's 1%. <laughs> some of you. And some of you, that little 10% will bring an opening for God to begin to work. Some of you, it won't work. I won't promise you that God will heal your marriage. I will promise you that God will heal you. God will take care of you. And I know as I look around this room, I'm seeing people whose marriages failed, but God took care of them. God will be faithful to you if you will drop the rope if you will obey him and be humble before him Jesus came to earth and he was more curious than critical more careful than crushing more interested in connecting than correcting that's a sermon right there he's the king of kings the lord of lords he created the template for marriage he came not to see what we could do for him, but what we could do for what he could do for us, right? And that's very counterintuitive for sinful creatures like us to suspend our needs, our offenses, our fears, our anxieties, to tend to the needs, hurts, and fears and anxieties of another. But it's what will heal our world. And I believe that the healing of the world begins in your house. Thanks, Dad. Um, my dad asked me to come and pray over us. Let's stand. Um, and, you know, I love marriage, and I know that marriages in this house, the house of God, getting healthy, um, getting even healthier, be, beginning to share our healthy marriages with one another is such an important part of what God wants to do in this place and how he wants to move. Um, and I, I'm so blessed. Um, an embarrassment of riches to have a husband who loves me um, just so incredibly and you know we he started pursuing me 19 years ago and still every day he is just after me even when I got off the platform um, after worship he said to me you're an 11 out of 10 and um, that's every day of my life and I just want to encourage you that if you're not in that place in a marriage like that um, and you, you are in pain and hurting each other, that God is good and there's hope. Situations that seem hopeless, things that seem dead. We serve a God who brings dead things back to life. And that when we partner with him and we, we just begin to um, do what we're talking about today, just humble yourself, be begin to serve, begin to try to speak their love language. Um, you know, God can do some pretty incredible things. Um, and then there's, there's a second group of us that our marriages are great and we, we really love each other. And let's strive for, um, to be Christ to our spouse and find ways that we can just serve each other more. And also let's find ways that we can use our marriage for the kingdom of God and use our love and our peace of our home to bless other people. And young people need to see that. They need to be in our homes and be around couples that are in love that lift up marriage. 
Um, so let's sacrifice to make that happen. Um, and then there's, um, there's a third camp that you're not married yet and you're just learning about this. So soak this all in. Learn a- about what you want if you want to be married. Um, and we're also going to pray, if you're a person to here today that you have not given your life to Christ and you are interested in doing that, you know that that's what the Spirit is saying to you today, that you want to give your life to Him, we're going to walk through that because now is a better time. There's no better time than to give your life to Jesus than now. Um, So I'm going to pray for you guys. God, we thank you so much that you uh, designed this picture of our relationship with you in marriage, that you gave us this um, beautiful, in-your-face analogy of what it looks like for two to become one. And I pray for those marriages in this house today, Lord, that are wonderful and that the people that are getting along well, I pray, God, you would strengthen them even deeper. I pray, God, that they would strive to be even more like you, even more humble. I pray, God, that they would also make a decision to leverage that love and peace and oneness for the kingdom and for the people around them. I pray, God, for people who are in pain, who are in marriages that are in deep trouble. And, God, we don't take lightly at all what that can mean for somebody's spirit and their heart. And God, we just ask you that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would see miracles happen in people's homes. We would see fun start to happen. There would be smiling. There would be laughter. There would be romance in homes where that was thought to never be able to happen again. We just ask that in your name, and we believe it. We claim it. Um, God, I pray for people in this house who want to get married. We pray that you would just continue to lead them along the path that you want them to be on, God, and and bring them to that place if and when the time is right. I pray in the meantime, Lord, they would learn to be a humble person who's like Jesus. And God, everybody's going to repeat after me. We're just going to pray. If you want to accept Jesus right now and across this room, we're all going to say this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I know that I need you. So today... I choose to accept you as my Savior and my Lord. I give my life to you. I want to serve you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen.